In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Live. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. With me is not Marie, Laureen, what's her name? I can't even remember it anymore. She's been gone so long. She's on her way back from California. But we have more guests than we do host tonight, so that's a switch. Uh, joining us now, hopefully, is Dr. Karen O'Keefe. Good evening, Ron. Good. And also with you is Mr. Parsons. I, I forgot his first name. Fuck! Good evening, Ron. Steve. <laughs> of course, if I was psychic, I would know that. Oh, that's so bad. And how many times have you heard that? About four million times. So how are you guys? It's like midnight in uh, the UK right now. Uh, just That's right. Midnight. Yeah. Yeah. The, the witching hour was when the veil is the thinnest between the realms of the living and the dead. Uh, that's what some people say. Between <laughs> the realms of the living and the asleep. The living and the sleep. I like that one better. Actually, this is like morning for uh, most ghost hunters because they're always up at this time of night, anyways. All day. Well, at least in the U.S. I mean, let me ask you that, because, uh, well, first of all, we should introduce you. uh, uh, Dr. Karen O'Keefe, of course, has been the longtime uh, parapsychologist on the uh, hits uh, TV show uh, Most Haunted. Um, He is an unusual man. He uh, takes science to the absurd, I believe. Yes, not so much uh, on Most Haunted, but I am a parapsychologist, which ultimately means uh, involved in the scientific study of the paranormal, but very different from what you see on television. A real parapsychologist at the end of the day is somebody that tries to study uh, all of this stuff in the lab. So a real uh, scientist with a white coat, although I don't have a white coat, but uh, essentially that's that's what I do. I try and look at the scientific side of the paranormal or a scientific way of trying to look at the paranormal. Let's put it that way. You know, what's, what's interesting is you did say something, and, and uh, I think it's, it's kind of neat you said in a lab or a controlled situation, but as, yeah. uh, I mean, how would you, how would you define that as, as you know, a lab, uh, are we talking a isolated place or are we talking 
uh, well, you can't. It would have to be a controlled No, no, no. Uh, yeah, I think, I think from my perspective, I'm just using the word lab for your listeners. Basically, lab is a generic word to mean somewhere that we can control. And as scientists, you know, with the uh, hard sciences, it's all about the archetypal image of a lab in a university or in a scientific institution where you can fully control everything. You can make sure that uh, what you're looking at, what you're studying, is the only thing that you're studying and there's nothing else interfering with it. Um, in trying to study the paranormal, there are some parts of the paranormal that we can study in the lab, but then there are other parts, like haunting experiences, which, uh, well, Steve and I have argued about this before, that are near impossible to study in the lab. Exactly. Now, uh, we are talking about Steve Parsons. Do you yeah. consider yourself a medium or a psychic medium, Steve? Uh, neither. I'm a psychical researcher. Um, I... I have a physics and medical background, and I confine my researches primarily to the field, uh, looking in the real world for encounters with ghosts and apparitions, trying to use uh, some of the techniques that Kieran brings from the world of parapsychology, from the world of physics, from history, from all manner of specialities to bear on the subject. What we're trying to do is not debunk but what we're trying to do is to seek evidence for to support or disc, uh, disclaim the witnesses' experiences. Okay. And uh, how are you doing this together? Well, it's a good combination because Kieran's expertise in parapsychology combined with my uh, expertise in measuring things, uh, measuring the environment, uh, looking for anomalies works very, very well together because we draw upon each other's experiences. Uh, I don't have the academic background or the psychology background that Kieran has, and it's true that Kieran needs to measure uh, parts of the environment, and that's where my speciality comes in. So it works. Well. It's a good combination. It's a very good team. I think at the end of the day, the message we're trying to put out there is that uh, the two can't exist apart. That basically there is this misperception of what parapsychologists are, and that is people see parapsychologists as paranormal investigators when they're not. Parapsychologists are scientists, you know, who on the whole do study stuff in the laboratory, but they come from a discipline that does look at paranormal phenomena. And, and Steve's right. What he does is he works out in the field. And also he's one of those rare investigators who has a background in physics and also other qualifications too that are very appropriate given the subject that he's studying. But that the two of us um, work very well together and that the message is that you need both sides in order to study the phenomena. I agree. Now, uh, on uh, Tuesday show, uh, we do Ghost Chronicles International with Richard Phillips, and we had uh, Brian Shepard on, and when we had him on the show, I mean, I've always been intrigued by him because, uh, I, as you know, I, I work with a uh, trans medium, and, and she can tell me things, and, and I'm sure, Steve, you see things and, and everything else, but you, you can't give us a, a photograph of what you're seeing, but uh, a psychic artist 
can do that, which is, is kind of a, a unique thing. Uh, uh, so that's why I was intrigued by what is your take on, on uh, uh, you know, a, a psychic goddess? Are you asking Steve or myself? Well, either or, because, uh, you know, we want to hear from both of you, actually. Well, I would take, uh, before Kieran answers, I would take... Uh, some issue with what you said that we can't photograph things. We do have the ability to visualize some of the phenomena that people report and also we can use the cameras in other ways to capture fraud uh, and misdirection. Yes, but I mean, as a medium or, or a psychic, you, if you in your mind's eye see a, a woman standing there in a, a blue dress and you see her features and everything else, or uh, as Derek Akara could even trans, uh, uh, channel them. I mean, the, the, you guys are actually there. You actually see this spirit. You, you feel the spirit in, in some instances. But we can't take a picture of this spirit with the detail that a psychic artist could. That's why, I mean, I'm not saying that I just think it's a phenomenal uh, combination, if it works. I, you know, I, I really not sure uh, about uh, uh, Brian. I haven't seen his work, but uh, he is going to be doing some stuff, and I, I would be, you know, most interested in, uh, you know, you know, because you're actually seeing what this, the medium is seeing. So I mean, that's sure. Cool. And I and I th and and I think what you're trying to say is, uh, you know, in terms of Brian, the combination of psychic art and mediumship, and he's able to visualize it, but. From my perspective, and I am sceptical, which means uh, fundamentally open-minded, but from my perspective, all you're seeing is him doing art. And he right. is an artist on a day-to-day -day basis when he's not doing mediumship or even psychic art. He right. is a very good artist, and he has a, you know, a lot of his works in the gallery. And so for him to put down on paper ultimately what he claims that he's seeing as a medium is not uh, a huge feat as I see it, because what is he actually putting down on the paper? Is he drawing the spirit as he sees it in front of him, or is he drawing whatever he sees in his head, which he thinks is the spirit in front of him? Right, and, and I understand that. I mean, but the thing is, now, if you go to a control situation, uh, you know, we're talking scientific now, so... What if we take a, lo a location uh, that it's, he does not know where he's going to? Okay, this is the, to me would be the, the ultimate uh, test. And, right. you know, even blindfold him, and you bring him into this location. And, uh, you know, of course, we would have to bring another medium in to verify that there is a spirit there and, and what they think it is. And then you could actually uh, have him draw the person that he sees in his mind's eye. Now, what if this drawing he does, number one, uh, is the same person that the other medium saw, and number two was actually, uh, could be found as either art or a photograph of a, a person that actually lived in this location. Now, wouldn't that be uh, pretty much uh, proof that uh, what he's well, doing is real? There's two things first. You have to assess the accuracy of the drawing, okay? The, on the one hand, you're saying if the drawing matches a photograph that you have on record, well, how is that matching done? Is it simply, uh, you know, somebody or you with the photo saying, right, does it look like this artwork that Brian has done? If you say that, 
that's not controlled, and that's not a very good way of judging whether yes, the two Karen, are the same. You, rea you, need you, rea you realize we have uh, feature-driven uh, computer generation now that we can actually... Sure, yes. If you go yeah. that far, yeah, if yeah. you go that far with the judging, then I'd be a lot happier. The second part of it is that you're saying his artwork matches the artwork or the, uh, you know, what the spirit is coming up, um, the, me the other medium is coming up with. Right. You'd need to make sure, you'd need to make sure, and it's very easily done, that you're not dealing with something called population stereotyping. And that right. is, if you show people a particular location, are they all going to come up with roughly the same sort of spirit? If you just say, a spirit is seen here, draw or tell me what you think the sort of spirit is. You'd need to make sure that that's the case. And you, all you need to do is just maybe send 10 just members of the public through there and ask them the same thing. That's, that's an interesting thing. And Steve, what do you, yeah. what do you think of this? Well, I would, I would first of all look towards a more fundamental problem the, you're asking that we check against a known photograph or pre-existing drawing. Mm. So therefore, that, that information is already in the domain. Um, so it is conceivable that the medium has already seen it. Uh, once again, though, we took him there. He's blindfolded. The location is unknown to him. Uh, there, there are lots of opportunities for people to get information about a location. Moreover... Uh, as, as in my own experience fairly recently, we took a medium to a location under similar circumstances, which I felt were quite controlled, uh -huh. only, only to discover that the medium had actually been to the same location some three years before, and he didn't announce it on the night. And it was only by checking back through the, the records of the location that we were able to discover this. Interesting. Mm. But, I mean, do we, do we have to push all this skepticism to the limit? Uh, I mean, where, where do we draw the line? I mean, you know, I mean, there are, uh, how could we, we could say, for instance, that is the medium really reading a person's mind while he's there or something? I mean, but, you know, we could take the people out of the room. I mean, are, are there a psychic impression still left in there from people that know? But we have to. In order, in order for any mm. evidence to stand challenge, we have to push it to the absolute limit and beyond yeah. in some cases. Otherwise, the evidence is meaningless. If, if we can find a way, a plausible way, in which it could have been done, then that is much more likely than a paranormal explanation. So we mm. do have to push the evidence to the limit. And I think it's all about, Steve's right, it's all about... Uh, motivation. Why are you doing this? You know, if somebody wants to go into an allegedly haunted location with a psychic artist and a medium and just see what they come up with, they may be doing it for their own motivation, just to see how the medium works or the psychic artist works. And, you know, they themselves can make the decision about whether they've seen something paranormal or not. But to other people, and certainly to scientists and anybody with a critical mind and, you know, critical thinking, paranormal investigators, it won't count as evidence because there are alternative explanations. I, I understand that totally, but uh, there has got to be a point in time where there is a line that's drawn between over-skepticism and uh, accepting uh, the evidence that is presented to you. Well, yes, if, 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 if the rules of skepticism, you know, are adhered to in terms of, 
you know, uh, kind of skeptical rules or skeptical controls, and they don't have to be extreme for us to be happy with them, but just, you know, at least the uh, minimal sort of controls. If then the evidence shows that there is something, uh, you know, of paranormal interest, then that's the point at which the skepticism goes. Um, and, you know, you may think that you've actually got evidence there. Steve, what are you going to say? I was, I was going to pretty much echo what you said. We do encounter situations where we have conceivably measured, tested everything we can, uh, can think about, and we are left at times with things that we can't explain. That doesn't mean mm. to say it's paranormal, but it does mean at that point in time, we can offer no reasonable explanation for what's going on. Yeah. Right. And, and the other thing, I mean, uh, you guys are familiar with the show Ghost Hunters, correct? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, <laughs> all right. But for, uh, you know, I don't know your opinions, or for better or worse, but basically they do things uh, supposedly scientifically. And mm -hmm. if they can reproduce it, mm -hmm. then they dismiss it as paranormal. But my, my uh, question always to that is just because you can reproduce something scientifically does not mean that it was paranormal at the time it occurred. Steve, do you want to go first, or shall I go first? I'll let you go first. <laughs> okay. Um, two points there. First point is uh, just because you can reproduce it does not mean that the original thing was not paranormal. You're absolutely right. Uh, Yuri Geller's a prime example. Yuri Geller claiming that he can bend spoons with his mind using something called psychokinesis, and then right. magicians showing how they can do the same thing using trickery. Therefore, the, argu the argument is uh, that Yuri Geller may be using trickery, but there's always the, the other possibility he may be using PK. However, it raises enough doubt about Yuri Geller's ability because people can reproduce it using another means in the same way that if you get phenomena that happens in a location and somebody can reproduce it, it raises doubt at least, but... There's the other side of things. You're talking about ghost hunters reproducing it scientifically. And I know, Ron, it's not your words. It's them saying it. That's, that's, that's the sort of um, way they like to put it, that they do things scientifically. Correct. correct. They're not. They're not. There is no, no science not. involved. There is no science involved at all in what they claim they are doing in trying to reproduce or replicate what just happened. The reason is, and Steve will back this up more so than I can because he's more of a field researcher than I am, when the phenomena happens in the field, there are so many things that are going on at that point when the phenomena happens. Temperature, uh, state of mind of any witnesses, you know, other environmental uh, things to do with the building. How do you replicate all of those exactly? You, you exactly. just—I don't know how you could do it. I really don't know how it's possible to do that. Moreover, when we talk about scientific method, one of the uh, criteria for doing that is to adhere to a set of protocols. There are there are definitions uh, and correct ways of measuring temperature, electromagnetic fields ionizing radiation fields, all manner of, there are proper standards laid down. And now, if you're not measuring to those standards with appropriate pieces of equipment, for example, let's, let's look at the 
the EMF meter, the K2. The K2 okay. is not capable of measuring to any scientific standard. It, it doesn't even come close. The, the measurements from it are, are, in a scientific sense, completely meaningless. Mm, so yeah. to claim then that you're doing science is, it, it, again, it's a meaningless claim. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 think, I, I, think, I have yeah. problems with the K2 meter itself because I know it is such an uh, inferior instrument, if I can mm. say that. But uh, I had, in fact, I had Chris Fleming on the show, who was a big advocate of it. But they use it in a different thing. It's not really, in, in the end, it's not really used as an uh, EMF meter. It's used more just as a communication device. So well, that's, that's that's even less scientific, Ron. I mean, here you go, to, here you go. Go ahead. It, it would it would be like me, <laughs> me. I'm using, you know, it would be like me picking up my mobile phone and uh -huh. using it to hammer a nail into a wall and saying it's an excellent hammer. It's it's a it's a completely worthless analogy to say that an EMF meter is actually a ghost communication device. We don't we don't have a device. To, we don't even know yet what ghosts are. So how can we communicate with them effectively with a piece of equipment? It's a nonsense. Interesting. <laughs> and I think, I think in a way, Ron, you started off this, uh, this little bit of rant on our part. Um, but I think to some extent we do agree with you because you asked, the, you asked the question about ghost hunters trying to replicate phenomena. And I think you were thinking the same thing, that how can they replicate something and therefore, based on that argument, say that the original thing uh, wasn't paranormal. I mean, there is just too many variables in what we do, and and, yeah. and the, when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, it's still considered a pseudoscience, and no offense uh, intended to any of our uh, listeners are, I guess. <laughs> um, ghost hunting, you mean, is considered a pseudoscience? Yes, yes, yes. Not parapsychology. I didn't say parapsychology. Oh, well... <laughs> Psychical research has been has been around a lot longer than parapsychology. I mean, people have yeah. been out in, out looking for ghosts and working along, trying to gain evidence of them and an understanding of them for for two thousand years. Mm. Uh, and scientifically, using scientific methods, accepted scientific methods of the particular period, for over one hundred and thirty years now. So to say that it's pseudoscience isn't correct, but we are bringing scientific methodology into the field where we, where we do differ from uh, lab science is that we don't have a total control of the environment. We're, we're working mm. in, a, in a chaotic environment, but we can implement controls in those environments. And so we, do, we, we are able to produce meaningful data. I think the problem is that what we're dealing with here, and this is why Steve and myself are so keen to... Uh, break the mold, if you will, and uh, give talks about this, is that the majority of the ghost hunting community uh, kind of give this, uh, this perception of ghost hunting as a pseudoscience because of the way they do things. Now, they may have a very good motivation, they may be very focused, very enthusiastic about what they do, and kind of a good heart or, you know, um, kind of wanting to approach it in a proper way, but mistakes are being made all over the place. You know, if, if you're trying to produce evidence that you claim is scientific, then the majority out there are just doing it the wrong way. Okay, I, I actually have a question from one of the chat rooms, if you don't mind taking it. And I, I think this was 
probably, well, no, I'll throw it out to both of you. Um, okay. Someone asked, you know, we, we just uh, pretty much trashed the Cajun thing. Which, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, on that note, <laughs> what yeah. is your thought about the hack, Jack Hack, if you guys know what that is, or the Frank Sparks, which I'm sure you guys know. <laughs> uh, so what was the first one? Can you repeat that, the first one? The Shack Hack? Yeah, the Radio Shack Hack. I, oh, I is that it? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can tell right away. <laughs> can, can we can we revert to our preferred name device? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do uh, it. We, we, over here, we call it the Franken Box because it's a man-made monster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? You, you don't have the thirty chosen ones over there? Uh, well, there's plenty of chosen ones over here. Um, <laughs> the Frank the Franken Box the it's a very, very interesting device. Uh, Kieran and I have, have both experimented with it and talked about it. And one of the things that uh, I'm certainly uh, aware of is that it's a very beguiling device. It's almost mm. like giving crack cocaine to, some of the, to an investigator because the results really do beguile and intrigue people. Um, and watching people's responding to the box is really a, quite a fascinating and also for me as a serious researcher quite a scary uh, situation because mm. it's they're getting an instant gratification they are getting the responses or they seem to be getting the responses that they so desperately crave yet when we record the results and when we play them back we don't have we're not seeing what they're or we're not hearing what they're hearing Mm. Uh, it's it's a very subjective experience, but nonetheless, it's a very very beguiling experience. You know what? Can can I interject something here, guys? I, I know yep. that you guys are like the experts, and I'm just a poor radio host. You know what I mean? But uh, I've experienced with, uh, experimented with the uh, hack shack or whatever the heck you call it, and it, it's it is intriguing. But I think the way to do it is pretty much the way you would do it in EVP, is that you actually, instead of trying to just sit there and try to guess what the, the box is saying or, or everybody just writing things down, is to actually record it and then just to analyze it piece by piece. Do you agree well, with that, that or not? That's what we've been doing, but the, the whole design ethos behind the Frank's box, the Franken box, was this instant response, this ability to talk in real time to spirit. Right. And that means it's an entirely subjective experience for the participants. And I, I, I don't know how Kieran feels about it, but certainly from the field trials we've done with it, to watch people who are to be completely suckered in and absorbed by okay. and having conversations with this, this machine, it's, it's really quite, quite an eye-opener. First off, uh, let me just add to that. First off, Ron, don't put yourself down. Uh, I know we're on here as experts, but you yourself, you know, you were New England Project and you have a lot of experience in this field. So don't put yourself down, Ron. Um, the second part of it is uh, talking about Frankenbox and the, the kind of the audio feed that you get. From a psychological point of view, we're dealing with something called apophenia. Um, and it's this idea of seeing or hearing patterns or connections in random data. And when you have the Frankenbox, you know, splurting out all of these 
different signals. It's random data, and ultimately people find a, a pattern or connection in it because of asking the questions or because of listening, it, listening out for coherent words. And Steve's right. The original idea of the box is that it's a live Darren, feed. we have to take a break right now. I hate to cut you off. Oh, it's done. Okay. Sorry about it. We'll continue when we come back. You're listening okay. to Ghost Chronicles Live on Tokenet, uh with Karen O'Keefe and Steve Fossen. We'll be right back after the following message. Vault is open. You're listening to the Haunted Headlines, your source for the stories making waves in the paranormal news. Sponsored by GhostVillage.com at www.ghostvillage.com backslash news. Good evening, I'm Chris Balzano and you're listening to the Haunted Headlines, Ghost Village's weekly journey around the paranormal newswire to bring you the biggest stories affecting the ghost community. The ghosts are out again at Croxon Park in Liverpool, England. In a report from the Liverpool Echo, a security camera at the Edwin Country House has caught a spirit for the second time this year. This ghost, which appears much like a person whose head is bald and reflecting the light, moves across the screen for more than 30 seconds. It closely resembles an orb with a cloak attached to it and appears transparent. According to the article, quote, One theory among mediums is that the figure may be the ghost of former resident Hugh William Osbert Monix the seventh and last Earl of Sefton, who died in 1972. You may remember we covered a sighting in the same location last March. Stop by the Ghost Village news site to get a link to both sets of footage, and you can see for yourself. Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen may have left their X-Men personas behind, but they are still performing together, this time in the stage classic Waiting for Godot at the Theatre Royal Haymarket in London. Stewart got more than he bargained for when he signed on. He may be a veteran of the English stage, but the actor has seen his first ghost in a theater. According to the Telegraph, the actor is said to have witnessed a man in a beige coat and twilled trousers just off the stage as he was coming off. The ghost is thought to be John Baldwin Buckstone, who was the actor-slash-manager of the Theatre Royale Haymarket in the mid-19th century and a good friend of Charles Dickens. While he did not skip a beat during the production, Stewart later said he was, quote, impressed by the oft-seen spirit. Nigel Everett, one of the directors of the theater, said Buckstone, or whoever may be watching the plays from the afterlife, usually views comedies when they are performed. Lastly tonight, it may not have been a real ghost, but one spirit in India caused more suffering than any we've ever reported. In Bayrambor, five young men scaled the wall of the Ithar Senthal High School Hostel, which separates the male and female quarters. The area was in the middle of a power outage, and the boys went door to door scaring everyone they saw. Thinking they had seen a real ghost, and one that had been reported in the dorms before, the girl suffered a disproportionate response. Quoting a source from the Times of India, one girl, Pratima Basque, whose age was not revealed, fell unconscious and was rushed to a local hospital. She was declared dead on arrival. Five other girls were hospitalized. Authorities are still trying to sort out the details before any other action can be taken. That's the news for this week. Make sure to sign on to Ghost Village's news site to check out these and other stories at www.ghostvillage.com backslash news. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk gobbly gooky, the Para-X family. The 
shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrish family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrish family. back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles live on TojiNet, Pararex Radio, Ghost Channel, and beyond. My very special guest today is, well, guest, is Karen O'Keefe, uh, parapsychologist from most parts. We always have to have that in there. And uh, Mr. Steve Parson, medium, psychic, and skilled worker, whatever he is. So anyways, I did interrupt you. Uh, Remember what you were saying before I... Yes, uh, let me keep it simple. We were talking about uh, the Frank Frank's box, Shack-Hack, Franken-Box, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, North American viewers are familiar with the term matrixing that comes from uh, the TAPS guys, yep. talking about this seeing pattern in randomness. Well, matrixing is a new word that they've invented for something that psychology has known about for ages, and it's called apophenia, which is the general term, and then the more specific term is pareidolia. And it's this, you know, it's seeing a face in clouds, basically. But what we've got is the audio equivalent with Frank's box. And I think, you know, if if people want to do more stuff with it, then try and do it in a more controlled way. But Steve's got a point. The original box was set up as a live communication. It wasn't specifically to be recorded and then listen back to it. So uh, I have real problems with it, and uh, I know Steve does too. So, I mean, what, what, what is the problem with recording and looking back at it? Would you do that with any amount of evidence that you receive, for instance, uh, if you saw, uh, saw something and you would go back to the uh, camera well, and see if it was there, right? Yeah, well, there's, I guess, yes, the point I'm trying to make is, and... Uh, the thing that Steve has done, the thing that you're suggesting, but the, th- the thing that Steve has done in the past is if somebody's claiming that they heard a particular word or series of words coming from Frank's box, if you've recorded the session, then you can play that back and actually hear if those words were genuinely there. But the other part of it is not you're not to record it with the intention of looking for the evidence in the same way that you would with EVP, where EVP is all about replaying it and looking for the voices that you wouldn't have heard on the live recording. Does that make sense? It does make a lot of sense. Yeah. We actually yeah. have a question from one of the chat rooms, and, and this is both used, and I guess, uh, I don't know, let me throw it out there. Have either one of you seen a ghost? There's a simple question that gets right to the heart of what we're talking about. Uh, by what definition are we going to decide what a ghost is? Um, uh, here we go. Here's <laughs> the scientist. Well, well, the the problem the problem is as we don't know what a ghost is, it's very difficult. But yes, um, I've seen something which would conform to the standard of a ghost. Okay. Um, right. That took gonna... place quite a number of years ago. Um, okay, you got to tell us about it. Good. Well, it was one, one night while I was, I was on duty as a nurse, and we'd handed over between two shifts, 
And as I was doing the rounds, literally uh, spent minutes on each of several floors and encountered one of the residents uh, in the corridor, spoke to him for seconds. The, the, whole, the whole transaction between us probably lasted two or three seconds. Um, and a little later on, I discovered that that particular resident had passed away 48 hours earlier and wasn't, you know, had been taken away. His body had been removed. Um, it can be explained, no doubt, by Kieran, um, but it was also <laughs> see, the same gentleman was also seen a little later on the same night by somebody else who who didn't know what I'd already seen. So, yes, I, I guess I've seen what you could call a ghost. Uh, from my perspective, have I actually seen a ghost? Uh, no, um, but people have asked, you know, have I ever had a haunting experience? which could encapsulate actually seeing a ghost or apparition, but sense of presence or being touched, a whole gamut of possible experiences. And I've had quite a few that I've then later been able to explain. Um, but there have been a couple of incidents that I've been involved with with Steve um, on an investigation of um, allegedly haunted nightclub um, in uh, the northwest of England where one of the phenomena is fire exit doors uh, opening of their own accord, although it only happened twice before. And on this particular circumstance, um, managed to catch it on camera, or just about catch it on camera. Um, and it happened. And I don't have an explanation for it, even to this day. That was a particularly good event. That was a brilliant, brilliant investigation. Shame oh. it's, it's no longer... You know, I, I found something interesting when uh, Steve finished his uh, uh, little tale about his ghosty story. He says, now, of course, mm. Karen can explain it. Now, <laughs> is, is, is that, I mean, you have an explanation for everything? Is, is that what no. you're trying to no, not at all. I think I think Steve's throwing the gauntlet down because at the end of the day, Steve and I work together a lot, but... Uh, we do tend to uh, lay the gauntlet down to each other because uh, we do see differently about some things, although we uh, we agree a lot about the ghost hunting field, as it were, and the, the problems at the moment with the ghost hunting field. But in terms of, yeah, I'm sure Kieran can explain it, that's just him throwing the gauntlet down. Some of the time I can offer alternative explanations. I can't explain stuff away but I can offer alternative explanations. And I think maybe what Steve's pointing at is the problem that uh, he has, and the problem I have too, with a lot of parapsychologists tending to ignore the eyewitness accounts that you get from the field simply because most parapsychologists have a psychology background. And because they have a psychology background, they're aware of problems with eyewitness testimony, um, in the same way that there were problems with eyewitness testimony in forensic psychology. And so, you know, I, I kind of agree with Steve that uh, we shouldn't ignore these eyewitness accounts, but I think it's all too much a problem in parapsychology that some parapsychologists and many scientists outside of parapsychology ignore ghost accounts simply because they think that there's a problem with memory, with hallucination, uh, or with people just making it up. Okay. So we, we 
actually had another question. If somebody wanted to ask a question, how could they do that? They can call in at 877-864-4869. That's 877-864-4869. Or you can go in the TojiNet chat room and type out your question there. Or we also uh, have the Pararex chat room. You know, I've got four computers on here trying to record all of this. (laughs) I'm very impressed. Yeah, it's like the, uh, you know, NASA down here for crying out loud. Uh, anyway, um, you know, I lost my, my train of thought there. But uh, I did have a question for you. Oh, yes, have you, either one of you heard of a group called Psychops? Psychop, you mean? Psychop, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Committee for the Scientific Investigation of okay. Claims of the Paranormal, which no longer exists anymore. Oh really? I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, it's no. Yeah, Psychop no longer exists. It's now been renamed uh, CSI Committee for. Uh, <laughs> oh, it is absolute truth. I swear to God. Oh my uh, God. Do, they have, do they have those cool gadgets on the wall now that can, can spot ghosts <laughs> and identify them like they do on the TV series? No, God, I wish that would be awesome. <laughs> no, 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 it stands for Committee Committee for Scientific Inquiry and. Uh, Psychop has changed slightly into CSI, and now they don't do any research at all. It's all about um, public kind of changing public views or, you know, um, media or PR. Correct. So, every, but anyway, what was your question? Sorry. Every time I, I, we do anything, we always would have this uh, Joe Nichols come on and, uh, you know, okay. trash whatever you do. So, I mean... It, when I first started the, the Ghost Project years ago, I, I, it was like, you know, I wanted to find scientific, if there was proof of ghosts, I wanted to find it. But then I realized that, you know, there are so many skeptics that no matter what happens, uh, they're not going to believe it. So now it's more, I will show you what I have found, what I have experienced, and they'll let you make up your own mind. So, I mean, it's kind of... Uh, I guess it's defeatist, but I don't think so. I think it's it's helped a lot of people in other in other ways without having to deal with uh, negativity. So does that make sense at all? Did I just ramble? <laughs> um, it makes perfect. It makes perfect sense yeah. because it, it's essentially what we're doing as field investigators. But because, and it comes back to this methodology again. Because if I if I if I was a medium, which I am not. Um, in any way, shape, or form. There is no burden of proof on anything I say. I could say that there is a headless ghost in the corner of the room, and people there would have to take my word for it. However, if I say that there is a draft coming from a, a, a gap in the window, then be, I could be challenged to prove that, and only by using proper methodology can, can I demonstrate that. So when you can demonstrate those sort of phenomena, then we're not dealing with um, the, you know, we can actually effectively deal with the skeptics and the, the non-believers. So once we've looked at everything that we can look at, we are for sure left with things that we can't explain. Mm. That doesn't mean to say that in 10, 15, 100 years time, yeah, we might yeah, not yeah. have more advanced technology, but it does mean that we currently can't explain it, even though we have looked absolutely, properly, correctly, methodically, using all of the latest knowledge. And can I just clarify as well, you were talking about trying to convince 
skeptics. Let's just clarify now because uh, I think there's that misperception out there and I think it's media-driven. Uh, a skeptic, true sense of the word, skeptic is somebody who's open-minded but constantly questioning uh, what they're presented with. Um, and if anything, I would hope that most scientists are skeptical, also, also investigators are skeptical as well. Um, don't confuse that with cynicism, which I think uh, you get a lot of figures in uh, psychop. Uh, I hate to say CSI. A lot of figures in <laughs> psychop who, who are cynical. Um, you know, no matter what you present them with, um, they will dismiss it with a wave of a hand, and it's the reason why. You know, I've had chats with uh, various scientists who are cynical of any sort of research into ghost hunting or mediumship. And then I say to them, well, have you read the thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of accounts by scientists, you know, in the early 1900s? And they say, no. And I say, well, go away and read that. And if you still come back after reading that and think you should dismiss it all as, as rubbish... Uh, then at least I'll respect you for having read it. But for the time being, you're not being a scientist because you're not keeping an open mind. You're not questioning the evidence because you haven't even looked at it. Well, let me... I mean, the, the ghost of the paranormal field has always been uh, tainted, I think, through the years. And, and a lot of that has, has gone back to its root. I mean, you had people like uh, Mumbler, who was a, a photographer back in the, the 1800s, who took a picture, a ghost photograph of Lincoln uh, next to Mary Todd, and, uh, you know, it was all fakery. I mean, uh, we, you'd had, uh, I came across this, uh, this gentleman from the University of Ontario. He was a doctor, a doctor, a real doctor, and he did all his work on, on seances. And, and in fact, all his work is still at the University of Ontario. But when you look at these photographs from 19... 19- uh, 39, you know, I, I had a chance to look at the actual photographs, and and there were these, supposedly this controlled room with banks of cameras and everything else. There was gauze coming out of people's mouths, and, and actual, you know, cardboard figures with pasted, paste, uh, pasted faces on them. I mean, so that's all tainted the field that, that we, we all work in. Mm. So, I mean, how are you ever going to get over that? You aren't, because this, the, the field of the paranormal will always attract the charlatan and the showman. Um, it, and the, there is no real way around it except the method that I hope that Kieran and I are proposing, which is one of a balanced, methodical, science-based approach using as many specialities as, 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 as is required. You, you need people with a psychology background. You need people with a physics background. When we're looking at buildings, you need building historians, architects. You need social historians. It is a multidisciplinary approach that yep. parapsychology and psychical research are now starting to adopt. And this, but it will always come down to the basic... I, 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 it applies just as much to the ghost hunters as it does mm. to the mediums there will always yeah. be people who for whatever reason be it self-glory be it for money they will produce the for results TV. that people demand of them yeah and it's not only that too you're also you know uh we steve and myself are both promoting that 
you need critical thinking. You need to be skeptical. You need to think a bit more about what you're doing in terms of these investigations. But let's not forget, you said it yourself when you mentioned about some of these early, you know, spirit photographers. Steve was talking about him only the other week on a training day that we set up. Who was, uh, you know, one of the first spirit photographers was exposed by Harry Price, you know, who we both agree is basically the, uh, well, the first ghost hunter, I guess, at the end of the day. Real ghost hunter. Right. So you've got somebody there who is a ghost hunter, but they're being critical. You know, they're, they're, they are able to expose the frauds. Now, now, let me ask you this. I mean, you guys are actually working together on, on a project, I assume, correct? Yes. Correct. Okay. Uh, yeah. Will these works be published so that, uh, for instance, will you be doing standards of, uh, uh, for a laboratory procedure in, in the paranormal? Well, it's, there's a number of different things. Uh, we're uh, planning to come out to your neck of the woods. Um Woo-hoo next spring or i think early summer at least and do kind of a mini u.s tour in in your neck of the woods and the tour is entitled so you want to be a ghost hunter and uh it's ultimately us giving a talk and also visiting i guess a few locations um but you know trying to educate people about the mistakes that are being made in the ghost hunting field so that's one thing that we're doing um, in terms of publishing, going beyond that, I publish because I'm an academic and access to those papers can be found on my website. Steve provides, uh, if you don't mind me saying, reports from his investigations and uh, his investigations is more so it's worth looking at in terms of environmental stuff on uh, the Parascience website. Um but so you want to be the ghost. Go, so you want to be a ghost hunter is a tour we're doing in the UK and the US, and uh, a book is going to come out of that as well. Excellent. Now, uh, before I get, why don't you give your website? I'll just. Uh, I'm getting old. My mind. <laughs> okay, mine is www.theparapsychologist.com, and mine is uh, parascience. Dot org dot uk. Okay, and actually, I, I would like to link those on my site. I think because uh, uh, you guys, are, I found you very interesting tonight. Uh, we do have one other question that came in early, and uh, it's a little bit off the track, but okay. uh, the new Stonehenge, Blue Stonehenge. What's your opinion on it? What What do you think? The new. Oh, maybe you guys haven't heard of it. It's all over the news here no. today. The new Stonehenge? Yep. Well, uh, I, I haven't heard of it, but as an interesting... I live um, about 10 miles from the Priscelli Hills in West Wales, where the original blue stones for the original Stonehenge come from. And there is a henge in the Priscelli Hills that's... Um, a forerunner of Stonehenge, made from the early bluestones. Okay. Uh, on the news, the well, let me, let me t- ask you, basically what they're saying is, uh, it was all over the U.S. news today, which is, I find interesting, uh, you know, it was your country and yet it's over here. But that must be a slow news day, I guess. But anyways, they found a, a mini Stonehenge, which they believe was now 
that Stonehenge was actually uh, some type of a burial uh, ceremonial thing now, and that this was the entrance to it, uh, which was quite a ways away, and, and then they had a procession that went to Stonehenge, uh, and it, so you guys haven't heard anything about this at all, right? No, but I'm just uh, reading some more about it, and uh, what Steve was saying about the blue stones, um, the uh, the archaeological excavation that they've done, um, it's near Stonehenge by the look of things. Yeah, um, but they're basically they're basically confirming um, about the blue stones. But they're saying they're convinced the stone chips that they found in the archaeological dig are evidence of belief in the healing power of the blue stones brought 150 miles from South Wales. Um, but, you know, you're asking me my opinion on it, and basically I'm just looking at this for the first time. Right, so I, I apologize but, but for that. I mean, no, no, that's, that's fine. It's not a problem. I mean, it was it's not big news over here with, today. I mean, that's, that's right. why I came in. Um, well, it's not necessarily within the realms of parapsychology, but you're talking about a conclusion being made about evidence of belief. You're not talking about evidence of healing power. You're talking about evidence of belief. Right. Uh, so I would kind of tip a respectful hat, perhaps, to the archaeologists, the team, you know, who actually discovered this stuff, and uh, say if, if anybody's going to know, they are. Certainly, okay, no. we're talking about belief. Um, the the stone circle that we have here in West Wales that's related to Stonehenge and made from the same blue stones is still today visited regularly and at every midsummer and midwinter solstice it's a place that still attracts hundreds of people from the local area and Stonehenge and the other big stone circle not very far away from it in Avebury um, both in England attract thousands, tens of thousands of people. So, so the belief is still very powerful today amongst these people that the stones mm. have magical properties. And not only that, I'm, fi I'm finding a little bit more detail about it now. Basically, the excavation dig has, pro has uh, proven that, uh, that there is a procession to Stonehenge and ultimately proving that it was uh, an ancient burial ground. Whereas there may have been speculation about what Stonehenge was before, yeah, and now actually, they're saying that this is evidence. I had actually heard uh, there was two Stonehenge, Wood Stonehenge and Stone Stonehenge, and the wood one was to celebrate uh, life and birth, and the stone one was to celebrate death, uh, moving on. Uh, right. So, anyways, I, I know that's anyway. a little bit off, but uh, Leslie from the... Uh, chat room had asked that, and uh, I did want to get that into uh, to you guys. So, uh, it'll be good to see you guys come over here. I don't know how you're going to be received, because people love their ghost hunting over here. I mean, uh, are you going to crush some spirits? No, well, we no, I think ghost hunting too. Exactly. We both love it. We're both as equally as enthusiastic about all of the groups out there in North America. Um, we're, not, we're not coming over to it to tell everybody to stop we're not coming over to say that you know it's all rubbish far beyond it of anything you know we're there on the same level as as um these other ghost groups and individuals going out to haunted locations but what we're trying to do is bring in a little bit of our expertise steve with the environmental 
side and the physics background and myself with the psychological side and saying, look, this is what you want to do. These are the mistakes that you're making and also mistakes that we've seen here in the UK and mistakes on, you know, the television portrayal. Uh, this is what you can do to learn from your mistakes, you know, to ultimately improve what you do. Also, hopefully, um, when we come over there, it's also to learn from the American teams because we're not arrogant or complacent enough to say that we yet know everything. I don't mm. think there can be any expertise, true expertise. So we're not coming over there to preach and to convert. We're, we're coming over to learn, to share, and to to learn as much as we can about the American ghost hunting scene and hopefully bring some of your expertise back to our investigations over this side of the water. Exactly. You know, it's interesting. When I first started the, the, the ghost project, uh, I mean, I have, had never any interest in being a ghost hunter or, or anything like that. I mean, my, I didn't even believe in them, really. Uh, my degree, oh, two-minute warning, oh, gosh. But anyways, my degree was in environmental science, so it, it, it's a good fit for what I do. But um, I didn't even believe in mediums, the psychics. thought they were all charlatans. But just because I didn't believe anything didn't mean I didn't uh, investigate the validity and procedures and, and people and stuff. And, and that's why I kind of call myself the Van Helsing, because like Van Helsing from Dracula, he was a man of science, but he was versed in the arts and the crafts. And I think that's what we should do if we're dealing with the paranormal, is we have to look at all aspects of it, not just scientific, not just mm. spiritual, but all. Yeah, you need to hear every side of it to even contemplate thinking about the other side. Exactly. Well, guys, we just about run out of time. Uh, I just want to give you a few minutes if you want to uh, finish up on anything you would like to say before we get about like 30 seconds or so. Uh, maybe a minute. Steve? <laughs> uh, just just how much uh, I, I'm looking forward to coming over to, to, to learn and to share with the American ghost hunters because we don't know it at all. And hopefully I, I come back with a head full of knowledge and new information and new techniques. Exactly. And when we come out, when we go over and ask the question, so you want to be a ghost hunter? We hope that we get a resounding yes from all the ghost groups out there that interact with us. And they'll tell us why. And they'll tell us what we may be doing wrong, but also uh, what we may be doing right. So, yeah, equally looking forward to it. Can't wait. Yeah, I, I find it interesting. And, I, and I'm, I'm be glad to see you guys when you come over. Uh, once again, we're talking to Dr. Uh, Karen O'Keefe, and you like the doctor part, or you just like the Karen? Oh, I love the doctor part. Oh, you do. Huh? Well, I like the Karen. <laughs> <laughs> and Steve Boston. Yeah, so we want to thank you so much, guys, and I really appreciate you, because it's like uh, 1 o'clock in the morning there. That's great. No, thank you for having us on, Ron. Thank and you. we'll see you, uh, no, you around, hopefully. So you guys yeah, have off, a good night I'm now. I'm for breakfast. No, I'm <laughs> off for breakfast. <laughs> Have a good night now. You too. Cheers, Ron. Yep, bye-bye. Well, that was uh, Karen O'Keefe and Steve Parsons from, uh, well, you want to be a ghost hunter? you got to learn how to do it, I guess. So it's going to be kind of interesting. They said they're coming over here and uh, get a good chance to go out with them and see what's going on and see what they know and maybe learn from us. So until next time, right? I'm, I'm kind of excited about that, actually. That'd be pretty cool. Take it to a haunted location. See if I can get the pants off. Anyways, you everyone have a good night, and we will see you next week. Good night, and God bless.
from ghoulies to ghosties, long-legged beasties, and the players of Kumpum.